Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Let's go to God's Word. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. If you found it, say, I have it. If you don't, say, I'm on my way there. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> it was like this whole section over here, and I'm just playing. But it's on, it's on, it should be on the screens. Romans chapter 5. We're going to get there. Are you ready? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. <laughs> that, that always bothers me. Glory in tribulations, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, the thing about it, the, the, the next word is what makes the difference in the whole statement. Normally just naturally thinking you wouldn't glory in tribulations and afflictions, but notice this next word, knowing what enables you to glory in tribulations, what enables you to rejoice even in times of difficulties is because you know something. Is because you have an insight to what's really taking place. It may look like one thing on the outside, but God has given you a knowing. He's given you a revelation that this is not working against you. It's actually working for you. This is not setting you back. It's really setting you up. This is not taking life from you. It's bringing life to you. But that's not what I'm talking about. Next verse. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Notice that. For when we were still, now it's like Paul tells us, and then he kind of backtracks. He said, now in verse 6, for when, we were for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps a good man someone would even dare to die. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us more, much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Notice this verse for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I want to talk to you this morning just from th these particular uh, passages of Scripture, particularly I'll pick up in verse 6. But if you are taking notes this morning and you want to write down a title or, you know, or subject of this morning's teaching, just write down this simple title, No More Excuses. No More Excuses. I'll get there in a minute. It may not make sense right now. But in Romans chapter 5, you have the Apostle Paul who is teaching to the Roman people here and to the church at Rome. And in a nutshell, he's pretty much lays out in this particular 
chapter in chapter 5, he's talking about the blessings and the benefits of the peace of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the power of God that we have received through the Holy Spirit. He begins in verses 1 through 5 talking about these particular things and he even associates these particular things that that is why I can joy in my tribulations. I can rejoice because I realize that I have the peace of God, the grace of God, the love of God, and the power of God that's operating on my behalf. But then he kind of backtracks in verse 6 and he says this verse and that's where I'm going to start. He says, but for, it says, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for us. What he is saying, he goes, understand that your previous state or condition outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He describes it as we were without strength. We were ungodly. We were sinners. Matter of fact, it even goes on to say that we were enemies to God in a sense. In other words, he said we were out strength. We were out the ability. We didn't possess within ourselves to change our lives or alter our lives or better our lives to the point that was acceptable to God. In other words, the condition and the state and the habit and the cycle that we were in, none of us in and of ourselves alone possess the power nor the ability to turn, to truly turn our lives around for the good. He said, when you look at your life, you were weak when it comes to turning around your, to turning things around. You didn't have the strength. You didn't have the ability. It didn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how, how popular you think you are. It doesn't matter how wise or how smart or how much education you think you have. In and of yourself, you do not possess the ability to bring the true change that needs to take place in your life that will become acceptable unto God. And notice what the scripture said. It says, while we were in that condition, couldn't help ourselves, couldn't turn anything around. The Bible said that in due time or at the appointed time or at God's set time, he sent Christ into the world to die for the ungodly. In other words, God looked at the whole situation. He saw year after year, uh, generation after generation, the struggle was real. The struggle was hard. And no matter through all the, 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 the religious orders and all the religious ceremonies, they, they still could not measure up to what it took to really restore us humanity back into the relationship that God desired for us and for us to be in with him. And the Bible said God set the appointed time that he sent Christ into the earth. Understand that when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't come before time. He didn't come too early. He didn't come too late, but he came right on time. God said when Christ came on the scene, it was perfect in his timing. How many of you know that we serve a God who knows how to show up right on time? I know in life sometimes when we look at our, our watch, we look at our calendar, we look at, at, at when we want things to happen, when we desire for things to take place and we wish it would happen now or we wish it would have happened yesterday, 
But how many of you know that God knows exactly when he needs to show up? Because when he show up, I guarantee it will be for the right time and for the best time. When he comes on the scene, it will bring him the most glory. It will be the most blessing for you and the most devastating for the devil. When he comes up, come on, the old time. I remember growing up here and the old timers sing a song. He's an on time God. Yes, he is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a few people in here that's from the Baptist church. They know exactly what I'm talking about, but they used to sing that song and they always talk about he's an on time God. Yes, he is. He knows exactly when to show up in your situation. But then the Bible says this, he goes, it says this, it said, think about this. He came at the appointed time and the set time to come into the earth. And notice what he said, to die for the ungodly. And then Paul says, now, wait a minute. Now, scarcely. There's only a few or select people that would actually die for someone who's pretty good or or who would die for someone that would be considered really good in life. I mean, I know that there's probably a select few people that I'm willing to give my life for. He said, it's scarce. That's a small number. And he said, now, if there's only a few people that are willing to give their life for a few people that think they think that is worth dying for, this don't quite make sense that God would send his son into a earth to die for people that were no good at all that were ungodly, that were wretched, that were enemies, that were messed up, that were tore up from the floor up. It doesn't make sense because the earthly mindset says that doesn't make sense. But the heavenly mindset says that makes plenty of sense. The earthly mindset says that's ridiculous. But God looks at it and says, no, that's redemption. The carnal mind would say that's a waste. But God, God would say that's a blessing. The carnal mind would say that's a loss. But God would say, no, that's love. Because it may not make sense to our mind, but it made plenty sense to the mind of God. And then that's why he makes this next statement. He goes, I know it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't compute in your brain, in your internal thinking, why I would come into a situation and die for the ungodly. But he makes this statement in the next verse. And he said, but God demonstrated his love. Notice that toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says, I know it doesn't make sense, but God demonstrates. In other words, this had nothing to do with anybody else but God. It was God's choice to do this. It was in his heart to bring this about. In other words, he, and see what I love, that's the whole turning point of this text. Because when it uses that term, but God, I preached a whole sermon about it. It's the turning point of this situation. Those two words means there's a shift that just taken place. It, it should not be this way, but God said, I'm going to step in and change it. The outcome should be different, but God says, I'm going to come in and rearrange things. I know they're not really worthy of it. I know it doesn't seem like it, it's worth the long road to come from heaven all the way down to earth, but God steps in 
again and say, I'm going to turn this around for my good. I don't know about you, but I've had some but God moments all throughout my life. And it's a truth be told, some of you have had some in your life. Matter of fact, the only reason why some of you are sitting in here this morning is because you had a but God moment. Some of you, the doctor told you that you would never live to see this day. Some of you were in accidents and car wrecks that there was no no reasonable way why you were able to walk out of that and still walking and have your limbs and have your arms. Some of you were so jacked up on crack, on cocaine and weed and cigarettes and liquor that you should have lost your mind and been in somebody's crazy house, but God stepped into your life and saved you and delivered you and set you free. I wish I had about 10 people that could be honest this morning. See, I know you want to be phony in church and be fake. You hadn't always looked that good. You hadn't always smelt that good. You hadn't always dressed like you dressed. You got your little nice car and your nice little clothes on now. But there was a time that you were broke, busted, and disgusted. You were miserable. But when the loving grace of God came down and found you and turned your life around, if it had not been for God that was on your side, where would you be today? You wouldn't be at Free Chapel. You might be behind bars. You might be in prison. But God saved you, delivered you, brought you out, and set you free. If he did it for you, give him a shout of praise, and I'll move on. He said, God demonstrates. Demonstrates. What I love about it, he didn't say God just says I love you. But he said it wasn't just verbalization, it was demonstration. He didn't just say, I say it, but I'm going to show you. And he said, how does he demonstrate his love? I'm going to tell you how he demonstrates his love. He demonstrated the greatest display of his love was the cross. The cross is God's love letter sent to us freely sealed in his blood. The cross is proof, proof positive. That God loves us and he is for us. Understand the, that, that, that we celebrate. You know, we're about to celebrate the resurrection in a few weeks. And we celebrate what Christ's done on the cross. But understand that when you look at the cross, when you stare at the cross, if you ever want to see into the heart of God, that's what you do when you look at the cross. The cross gives you a sneak preview of the depth of God's heart and how he feels about you and how he feels about me. And when you look at the cross, you see, we're in a day and time that crosses are for decorations they're for nice little monuments you know we put them outside and we put them on on a steeple we put them around our neck we put them tattoo them on our arms and all that is great but listen all that listen if it's just for artwork if it's just for jewelry if it's just a cool element outside of your church uh, understand you missed the whole point understand the cross is meant for you to look at and look through to the heart of God and when you look through the cross into the heart of God Guess what? When you look, it does, does it say you're messed up and jacked up? It says, nope. Does it say that I'm about to judge you and knock you and take, knock you out and take you out? Absolutely not. Does it, when you look into the heart of God, listen, all of us, the Bible said, if we do reject his love, we will be judged. The, all of us have fallen short and uh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scripture teaches us that. But understand that when you look through the cross, when you look through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when you look 
look through the sacrifice that he made, when you look down deep with every stripe that he took, every place that he bled, every point of contact that that cat of nine, nine tails came against his body, all of that was a constant display and demonstration of how God feels about you and I. When you look at the cross, the cross is saying to you that I love you so much that I would die for you. I love you so much that I would bankrupt heaven for you. I love you so much that I would go to any extent to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Because see, that is the love of God. And I'm glad that he loves us, not because of us, but he loves us in spite of us. Because see, human love loves you because of, because you're good to him, because you're nice to him. Because you did this, but God loves you not because, but he loves you in spite of his love is unconditional. His love is unfailing. Matter of fact, I, I was thinking about this little, little example. Do you remember um, um, when I was growing up at least, or I've seen it recently, you know, you would watch like cartoons of these little shows and, and you would find this little, little gal, she would be in love and she would have a little flower and, um, you know, I had petals and she would say, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Some of you laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. He loves me. Matter of fact, you were doing it this morning. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. But, but, but the whole mindset behind this, that person is sitting here looking at this flower and they don't really know the number of petals. They don't know that, that they're banking on or they're taking a gamble or, or, or they're taking a risk. They're hoping that by the time I get to the last petal, I'm not sure. I'm not certain. It's a gamble. It's a risk that I'm taking. But I'm hoping that when I get to the end, that I will land on the pedal that says he loves me. I've always wondered what happened if you didn't. But notice this represents the uncertainty of human love. It's not certain. It's a gamble sometimes. It's not always real and hard and concrete. And you take chances and it's a gamble and you don't know if you're going to land on the right pedal. But the Bible says this about Jesus Christ. The book of Solomon says that he's known as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. And the difference between uncertain love of mankind is the certain love of Jesus Christ. Because when you begin to pluck his petals, it says he loves me. 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 Well, I messed up and made a mistake. He loves me. I didn't respond in the right way. He loves me. I said I'd never do it, but I did it again. He loves me. I didn't talk the greatest to my wife today. He loves me. Um, I, I didn't respond in that situation on my job correctly, but he loves me. I found myself doing what I said I'd never do, but he loves me. Understand that the love of God towards you is absolute. There is nothing that you can do or you cannot do to get him to love you more or to get him to love you less. His love 
love towards you is complete. And no, I'm not giving you a license to sin. No, I'm not telling you it's okay to live how you want to live. But what I am telling you that when you embrace a love like that, a love that will keep loving you, even in your struggle, even in your hurt, even in your mess up, even in your dysfunction, that's where the scripture comes in that says the goodness of the Lord leads to repentance. Well, you mean he'll still love me when I blew it? Oh God, when I blew it? You mean he'll still care for me when I messed up? Do you mean he still loves me? Oh, I'm not condoning it, but after divorce, absolutely he still does because the love of God covers a multitude of sin. Is anybody in here thankful for the love of God? The love of God. His love is unfailing. His love is unconditional. His love loves the unlovable. His love loves those that nobody else wants to love. His love goes after those that everybody else alienates. Everybody else pushed to the side. Everybody else ostracized. His love, oh God. I love his love because his love is the kind of love that will wrestle with you all night, Jacob. And, and, and hold on to you and stay gripped around you and pursue you until he gets you from Jacob to being a prince. It's the love that will run you down on Damascus Road and encounter you and take you from a murdering Paul, uh, Saul and raise you up to being a mighty apostle named Paul. It's a love that will find a woman at a well in multiple relationships and even in the one she's in right now that's not her husband. Not throw stones at her. Not knock her down and tear her down. Not tell her that she has no value or worth but a love that will cover her and say woman what you couldn't find in five men I got it right here in one man. I got the love you've been longing for. I got the peace you've been looking for. I got the, oh God, I got the strength that you have longed for. It's his love. But think about it. But God demonstrates his love. But notice what he said. While we were yet sinners. He did all this while we were sinners. Not when we got things together. Not once we saw that we were basically good people. But while we were still sinners. See, I got to make it real to some of you. You're just like, y'all sinners, those sinners. <laughs> while you were still in the club twerking. <laughs> while you were still on the block shaking. While you were still from bedroom to bedroom. Relationship to relationship. While you were still drugging. While you were still smoking. While you were still lying. While you were still scheming. While you were still tricking. Come on. I know you sit there like you want to. I'm coming this morning. But I'm telling you. It, it, it was wow. And that's a blessing. He said even though I knew all your mess. Even though I knew all your dysfunctions. All of your mess ups. Even though I know the stuff that you don't want anybody else to know. That they would be shocked if they knew it about you. You know that stuff you push down. You ain't shared all your testimony, sweetheart. That's some stuff of that stuff you don't want nobody to know. But God even knows that stuff. But he says, as bad as you think it is, as horrible as it may come to you, even when I saw you in all of that, I was still willing 
to go to the cross and pay the price and shed my blood. And listen to this. I didn't even know if you would turn around. I didn't even know if you would accept me. I didn't even know if you would turn your heart toward me. I did this hoping that at some point, at some time, one day, you would really realize how much I love you. I did it and not knowing if you would ever turn your heart. But while you were yet sinners, I died. You know what he was saying? I, I was the initiator. And I'm not the one that messed up. I'm not the one that broke it off. I'm not the one that tore us apart. I'm still in the same place you left me. I'm still here where I was and I've always been. It was you that walked away because the, the situation didn't turn out like you thought it was. It was you that left me. It was you that abandoned me. But I didn't sit there and get an attitude in heaven and say, well, if you're going to act like that, I'm just going to leave your butt and let you die and go to hell. He said, no, 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 no. There was something in me that says even though they messed it up, even though they blew it, even though they ran away from me, but there's something inside of me because I never created them to be away from me. I never designed for them to be out of relationship with me. It was never like this from the beginning. And therefore, I'm going to do everything I possibly can. He was the initiator in the situation. It was God that initiated. He was all right and we were all wrong, but he was willing to do everything he could to make things right. Boy, if we could get that in some marriage relationships. Oh, if we can get some couples thinking about that way. If we can get off our egos and get off our rights to be right. Sometimes you got to get off your right to be right to keep things right. You got to learn not to sink the ship trying to save a tugboat. Well, if you'd have done that for me, if you'd done that for me, if you'd done that for me, well, you don't do me this way and you don't treat me this way. But what, what, well, let me ask you a question. You did the same thing toward God. Well, if he would treat me better, I may do this for him. God didn't say that to you. Because see, at some point, there has to be a redeemer in the situation. Where there's real love, oh God, where there's a real covenant, where there's real love, somebody will step up and be a redeemer. Somebody will step up and say, I know it's a mess and I know it looks torn down, but I'm not going to leave it this way. If I have to, I'll humble myself. I'll take the hit for everything to bring this relationship, this marriage, this covenant back together. And that's why the Bible says, Jesus, he humbled himself as a man. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself as a man, became in the form of a man. He became down as a humble servant, even though he was all right the whole time. But he says, I'm going to humble myself to make things right between you and I. There's a married couple that need to hear that this morning. You're one act of humility away. From restoration in your marriage. Whew. You're one act of humility away. From things turning around. Get off the pride. And humble yourself. And watch what God will do in that situation. Don't know where that's coming from. But I'm going to say it anyway. God's love. For us. Are you still with me? But notice. Let me get to where I'm going. I'm running out of time. He said he demonstrated. Why he, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. But then notice what he said. For if we were in verse 10, if when we were the enemies, if we were 
If for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, let me read it to you in the in, in the message translation. It says, if we were at our worst. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now, let me explain to you what's going on. This is what stirred my heart with this. God was Paul was saying, listen, if God went through everything I just described and he went to all the extent and the links while you were ungodly. While you were without strength, while you were a sinner, while you were out of relationship and covenant. If he went through all of that just to bring you into relationship, how much more? He did all of that through his death. But how much more will he do for you now that you are in relationship? Oh, you got to get this. He said, I did all of that while you were a sinner. But now that you are a son and daughter, you used to be outside of my house. Now you're in the inside of my house. If I went all of that, went to all that extent just to get you through the front door. Now that you are in my house, do you not know that I not have better for you? I have more for you. How much I want to bless you. You're a son now. You're a daughter now. I'm not going to, come on now. I'm not going to treat the outsiders better than I'm going to treat the insiders. And he says, now that you are in my house, you are at peace with me. My grace is in you. My love is for you. And my power is working through you. And you know what he's saying? He said, therefore, you do not have any excuse now that you're in relationship with me. And this is where I've been wanting to get. Now that you're in relationship with me through my peace, through grace, through love, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you now possess everything that you need to be all, to do all, and accomplish all that I've created you for. And there is no excuse why you have to stay in the same state, in the same condition, in the same mindset that you've always been in. There's more working for you now than it was working for you before you got saved. And there's no excuse why I have to stay bound. There's no excuse why I have to stay addicted. There's no excuse why I have to stay oppressed. There's no excuse why I have to stay with this defeated mentality, this, this, this mindset of, of, of littleness and smallness. How is it that God is calling me royalty and I'm living like a peasant? How is it that he said I'm seating in heavenly places, but I'm living down here on the ground? He said, there is no excuse why you can't walk in freedom. There's no excuse why you can't walk in liberty. There's no excuse why you can't have peace in your mind, comfort in your heart, healing in your soul, health in your body, blessed in your finances. There is no excuse because you have all of what you need and then some. 
to be everything. I want to ask you, what excuses are you making? What excuses are you making? The reason why you can't do better in life. The reason why you're still stuck in the same situations, the same cycles, the same routine, the same mindset, the same habits. What's your excuse this morning? Understand this. Many have made excuses. Excuses. But I don't have what it takes to get what I need. But you don't know my past. But I don't have the right upbringing. You don't know my situation. But I don't have the right contacts. But I'm not the right color. I'm not the right complexion. You don't know where I grew up. You don't know my culture. Excuses. Benjamin Franklin said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Unknown writer said excuses are merely nails used to build a house of failure. George Washington Carver said 99% of the failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. There was a story that Max Lucado told. He's a great author and a writer. I mean, you know, Max Lucado is a great author and writer. He tells a story about a man named Robert Reed. Robert Reed's his hands were twisted and his feet were useless. He couldn't bathe himself. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on his underwear. His shirts were held together by strips of Velcro. His speech dragged like, like a worn out um, a record, it said. Robert had cerebral palsy. The disease, but listen to this, the disease, the d- disease kept him from driving a car, riding a bike, and going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University, for which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy, it didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. Robert's disease didn't keep him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in a park where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord in that park. What's your excuse? The Bible always gives examples. Of those that made excuses. It says in Luke chapter 14. That there was a great banquet that was prepared. Listen to what it says. But they with all one accord began to make excuses. The first one said. I have a piece of ground that I must go see. I asked that I would be excused. In other words. And, and then it says. And the another one says. I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. I asked that you would have me excused. And another one said. I have married a wife. And therefore I cannot come. All of them made excuses and missed out on the great blessings that they had. Notice, he said, I have a piece of land that I got to go take care of. You know what? I would come to church Sunday, but, you know, I'm in real estate and Sunday's a big day and I got to go out and sell some property. But, you know, once I sell it, I will come to church then and then I will be able to give the tithe. But I got to go out here and do that. Okay, I know you're going to be quiet. 
I got my properties to attend to. I got my jobs to attend to. And I get all that. We have to work and we have to do those type of things. But listen, the Bible said, if we would seek ye first the kingdom of God, he will add all these things to notice one said I had five yoke of oxen. You know what? He had five cars. He had five, five bad cars. And he said, you know what? I would come to church, but it takes a lot to wash these cars. It's a lot to keep them up. You know, I live in Orange County. I got to keep up with the Joneses. I got to keep up with the lifestyle. I got to keep up with it. It's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. If no one, if people don't see me, in, oh, mm-hmm. he said, I got, but let me ask you a question. How many, how many people have you brought to church in one of those cars? How many people that you picked up to bring the Bible study? How many people have you... But isn't it funny that before you get all that blessing, that, that, that when you had to ride the bus and when you had to hitch a ride to get the church, you couldn't, we couldn't keep you out of here. You were here when nothing was going on. You thought when there were no service, you was out walking around the cross having service with yourself. But as soon as we get a little blessing, we get a little something, something. Now we have no time for God. Now we're making excuses why we can't get in God's house and in God's presence. Come on, it's time out for excuses are we gonna let God be first are we gonna make God a priority are we gonna make our relationship and walk with him a priority come on I need a big amen right there no more excuses I end with this one section of scripture Luke chapter 18 Ezekiel chapter 18 it said the word of the Lord came to me again and saying what do you mean when you use this proverb, proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Notice what it says. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. One translation says the fathers have eaten sour grapes. And it says, and the children have the stomach ache. In other words, they were using this proverb to make excuses why things couldn't be better in their life. You know, it's because of what my dad did. It's because of what my mother didn't do. And listen, I understand that all of us probably have some sour grapes in our life. Sour grapes of alcoholism that may have ran through our family. Sour grapes of addiction. Sour grapes of abuse and abandonment. Sour grapes of fatherlessness. Sour grapes of no parental figures in our life. Sour grapes of poverty. Sour grapes of broken homes. and Sour grapes of divorce and I'm not trying to minimize these real life experiences and I'm not trying to make light of them because I'm sure all of us have something and all of us have a story but what I'm saying that the God said through the prophet you tell them to no longer keep making this excuse quit using this proverb Saying that they can't do better in life because of what mom did or what daddy didn't do or what my grandparents did or didn't do. Tell them. And here's what he said. As long as the Lord God lives. 
as long as Jesus Christ is on the throne, as long as I'm at peace with God, as long as I have grace in my life, as long as his love is covering me and keeping me, as long as the power of the spirit of God is in me, no longer shall this be your excuse. And I've come to this morning to tell somebody it's time to quit making excuses. My daddy was an alcoholic, so I guess I have to be an alcoholic. My mother wasn't a good wife, so I guess I'm not going to be a good wife. My daddy was a player. Players run in my family. We just ballers, you know. My, my grandfather was crooked in business, and that's how he made it. I'm going to be crooked in business, too, and that's how I'm going to make it. At some point, there has to come a generation. There has to come a people. There has to come a man of God and a woman of God, a young single man, a young single woman of God who really get a revelation that I'm blessed in Christ Jesus. And despite where I come from, despite what I've been through, I may not come from the best home. I may not come from the best upbringing. And yes, mama may have, have, have been an alcoholic. And yes, daddy may have been a rolling stone. And yes, my grandfather may have been a bad businessman. But just because it happened to them, it doesn't mean it has to happen to me. At some point in time, you have to draw a line and says the curse stops here. The poverty stops here. The divorce stops here. Addiction stops here. Struggle stops here. Poverty stops here. Torment stops here. Possession stops here. Alcohol stops here. Drugs stop. I wish I had some people that will get bold enough in God to say, I don't care what it used to be like. I'm drawing a bloodline this morning and declare as long as Jesus lived, I'll walk in victory. I'll walk in triumph. I'll walk in blessing. Me and my wife made a, the decision long time ago. My wife was the first one to go to college. First grandchild to go to college and finish. Go to grad school and finish. First one to go and complete. We were, her and I were the first in, in a lot of things. And oftentimes got made fun of and got talked about. Because it's funny how when you choose to be different, when you choose to make something about yourself, when you choose to say, I'm not just going to succumb to the hood. I'm not just going to give in to what statistics say that the only way that... Can I just preach it like I want to? That the only way a, little, a young black man can make it, he's got to sell drugs or, he, or either he's got to get to the NFL. The devil is a lie. I don't care if I don't ever be on an NFL field. I don't have to sell dope. You know what I need? I got Jesus Christ. And in Christ, I'm blessed with everything that I need. Jesus is my source. Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my keeper. Jesus is my protector. And we made a decision a long time ago the line is drawn it stops here give Jesus a shout of praise no more excuses thank you for listening to this week's podcast we hope you are blessed